Good morning and welcome to Ask Andy, a daily podcast about personal injury practice in Philadelphia. I'm Andrew Newworth. You can reach me at 215-259-3687 or on the web at newworthlaw, N-E-U-W-I-R-T-H-L-A-W.com. I want to say a quick thank you to the podcast listeners out there. We cracked uh, 550 listens today and that's sort of a beginning mark and you know hopefully we'll keep growing from there so someone thinks it's helpful out there i hope that's uh helpful to you and it's of comfort to me that this is uh somewhat worth it to somebody other than me blabbing around in my, on a microphone so anyway i want to talk to you today about an issue that's sort of near and dear to my heart which is evidence collection so you know, personal injury practice is not particularly legally complex. It's not, there's not a lot of law that really makes a huge amount of difference. Really, usually what happens is there's a car crash or there's a medical error or something. And the cases usually rise and fall on the facts more than on the law. There's there's a little bit of law that you got to know that you got to be aware of. Um, but, you know, for the most part, the critical evidence is really done either at the scene of the incident or in the medical records or, you know, reconstructing what happened to present it to a jury or an arbitration panel. So to me, that's all evidence collection. Uh, You know, it's sort of, it's sort of in the vein of you know, you can take a good case, a case, you know, pre- case is pretty much what it is, What you know, when it comes in. Usually they don't change too much. You can just increase the value by being diligent and putting time and money into the case. So evidence collection is what? First, you know, take photos at the scene. Whatever happens, take photos if you're in a fall or a car accident situation. So taking photos, you know, if you ever seen my cousin Vinny, you know, photos help and hurt. You know, if uh, if the photos are, are helpful to one side, sometimes they're harmful to the other side. Sometimes they're kind of neither here nor there. But photos preserve a lot of information that, you know, may not be significant to you as the person or as the victim at the time. Like, what were the lighting conditions like? Was it raining? Was there oil on the ground? Is there a big hole there? You know, are there construction flags saying don't walk here <coughs> and you walk there? You know, is the um, elevator tipping up, tipping back, rising too fast or slow? You know, all sorts of crazy stuff that, you know, may not have been significant to you, may be significant to an expert, may be significant to a lawyer. So, one, take photos. Two, you know, getting statements on the record from people who are witnesses is really helpful. So if a store employee says to you, oh, geez, we've had trouble with that refrigerator for weeks. Okay, that's a helpful statement. You know, is it more helpful to get the person's name? Yeah, but if they're wearing a Chick-fil-A, you know, blazer or, you know, shirt, that that's halfway there. If the person who hits you with their car says, oh, geez, sorry, I was smoking crack all morning, or, oof, I just didn't feel like, you know, myself today. You know, that's that's these are important things to hear. And a lot of times... There's really no one there but you and the person, you know, who hurt you or who's responsible. So try and write those down. Try and communicate those to the police if they show up. Um, You know, 
so those are two things. One is <clears throat> video or photos. Like, there's just no excuse these days for not taking photos if you're involved in any sort of incident. Like, you got a camera in your pocket, use it. So, photos, you know, even if they are not helpful, photos make a difference. So, photos, statements. The next thing is, like, you know, really trying to document, you know, what what was going on. Like, where did the vehicles come to rest? That's sometimes important, sometimes not, but it never hurts to know that information. You know, finding out who the person is who did this to you, <clears throat> getting their address, getting their name, getting a photo of the person who did this. You know, sometimes people hit and run, sometimes people lie, sometimes people do this, that, and the other thing. Just, you know, it's like Ronald Reagan liked trust but verify <clears throat> as his kind of moniker or motto for dealing with the Russians. It's not a bad, you know, way to be if you're going to hang out and have legal cases with lawyers. So another thing, another kind of useful device is something that is probably totally alien to your non-lawyer individual, but it's a Freedom of, in of Information Act request. So F it's, we call them FOIA, F-O-I-A, Freedom of Information Act. Reporters, you know, at all the big papers, I guess, use them all the time to get information from government to sort of do their, you know, little investigative reporting. And governments hate this, I think, because they're required by law to turn over whatever information you ask, as long as it's not protected by some privilege. And it's probably a huge pain in the ass for them to find. But at the same time, it's incredibly useful. So, you know, if you have a case where it seems like someone was badly hurt and you don't know what's, you know, been going on at that intersection or with that street light or, you know, if anyone's ever repaired that sidewalk, um, you know, you just don't know what's going on in that particular location. You know, I, I will often send a Freedom of Information Act request to the township or the county or the state or the city or whoever it is. And why do you do that? Well, first of all, before you file suit, it's like kind of free evidence collection. It's like having a free private investigator because the city or township has to turn over this stuff to you. They'll fight and it'll take 30 or 60 or 90 days to actually get what you're looking for. But, you know, if you send a Freedom of Information Act request on not every case, but some case, you know, that you just don't have an idea as to what's going on, you know, and you get a response that, no, there's nothing there. Okay, well, you're, you're no worse off than when you started that process. But let's say, you know, it comes back and says, oh, yeah, that thing was just, you know, we just changed that from three lanes to one lane because it was very dangerous. Okay. Well, then you know it's a dangerous intersection, and, you know, maybe that's why your, you know, person was hurt. Who knows? In terms of nursing homes, like, you'll get, you know, evidence of, of complaints and prior problems at the nursing home with PennDOT. You know, PennDOT will send you all recent information as long as you have like kind of a circumscribed area like look if you ask for the past 30 years worth of records on one street i don't think that's unreasonable they may but you know it's not like you're asking for the whole county so you know i've asked for drilling records or you know 
sinkhole records on one particular street in one particular township. And eventually, you know, they say, all right, there's 3,000 pages. All right, well, that's not really what you want to hear, but it's better than, you know, well, well we're not going to bother. Or you have to send a subpoena after the case starts. So, look, it's like between photos, statements, and the FOIA request, you're really doing, you know, the basics of your job. Um, you know, another thing that most lawyers will do that most individuals won't know to do is to send like a spoliation letter. Um, that's really lawyer stuff. It's one of the first things we usually do, um, you know, outside of the car accident situation. But, you know, a spoliation letter is primarily evidence collection to me. It's, it's essentially a one or two line letter saying, hey, there's going to be litigation on this. And please don't destroy anything. In fact, please preserve everything you have. And it's kind of like an innocuous, you know, grenade that you put into the other side's um, backpack. Because, you know, what happens is if there is surveillance video, and let's say, you know, the commercial property keeps only the video that helps them. And they destroy the 30 days before that and the 30 days after that, or they destroy everything, um, you know, after the date of your letter. That's called spoliation. And spoliation to lawyers is a big deal. I think to most people it is as well. The jury instruction on spoliation says, you, the jury, can assume, essentially, that anything destroyed was bad for the person who destroyed it. So, you know, Justice Breyer of the Supreme Court says this. Everybody kind of says it and assumes it. You know, you don't get to win the case automatically because there was spoliation. But it's sure as shooting looks really bad if, you know, you destroyed every video or, you know, you're going to have your keeper of records come in and testify that, yes, I received your letter, Mr. Newworth, um, but we destroyed everything. Yeah, like, that's just bad. So, you know, it starts to, the case starts to tip your way or my way when, you know, I've done my proper evidence collection, covered my tail, made sure everything is in my file I can possibly find. And then, you know, then and only then can you decide that maybe it's time to, you know, this is a case that's worth being brought. Sometimes you got to do this stuff during the case. It's just sort of every case is different. All right. So that's enough on evidence collection. I hope you have a great day. This has been Ask Andy. Have a great day. Bye.